they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers at this new time on Fridays at 10 a.m. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the radio stations who pick up our signal. We appreciate that and and uh, social medias. And, and thank you for all of those of you who share this with everyone because without you sharing, um, people wouldn't know. So let other people know that we're here. We have a Bible study. And we want to begin with prayer because we're we want to dive into the Word of God. We want to understand this is God's revelation to us. It's not the full revelation. Remember, the full revelation of God is His own Son, Jesus Christ. And so divine revelation is not just the Scriptures. It also includes um, the sacred tradition with a capital T and the, the teaching office of the Church. So in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. And we ask God's holy angels to join us here, the angels who are sent to give us light, the light of God's truth. Sanctus, 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 Dominus, Deus, Sabaoth, Plenis, Uncelliat, Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna, in Excelsis. Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna, in Excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, in 1 Samuel 4, uh, verses 1 through 11, we have this story of the Philistines attacking Israel, and Israel is defeated in the first battle. And so they say, oh, we didn't bring the Ark of the Covenant. So run to Shiloh and get the Ark of the Covenant. But the, first of all, they ask the question, why has the Lord permitted, permitted what? Permitted in this instance, in this historical setting, permitted us to be defeated today by the Philistines. Why did the Lord permit that? Gee, why would God permit such a horrible thing? Allow us to be defeated by the Philistines. <gasps> Maybe we forgot. We were supposed to bring the Ark of the Covenant with us so that we would have the Lord with us because where the Ark is, there is the Lord. That's what the people thought. Was it just that? Or was there something else going on? Can we live a life in opposition to God's holy will? Can we disregard his commandments? Can we say that, oh, I know the scriptures say that, but the scriptures are wrong. I know that the church has always taught that, but the church teaching is going to change. Um, somebody sent me something this morning and they, in it, there was a phrase, the new truth. Well, in regards to the faith, public revelation ended with the death of the lost apostle. There is no new revelation from God. Jesus Christ, the son of God became man. Only well, he wasn't Jesus Christ until he became, it was the man <laughs> was Jesus Christ, right? He's Jesus, the anointed, but he is truly the Son of God really became man. He was the Son of God from all eternity, but the Son of God wasn't always man. The Son of God became man. And when he became man, his name was Jesus. And Christ was the title of his office, the Christus, the anointed one. And he came as the full revelation of God. He is God's Son walking among us. And, you know, it's interesting because in the scriptures, you know, the, the, the question was asked to Jesus about divorce and remarriage. Well, 
Moses commanded us to write a decree. No, he didn't. And Jesus clarifies that. He says, oh, Moses permitted you to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. So there were things in the Old Testament that were provisional, that weren't intended to come into the, that went into the New Testament. For instance, polygamy, divorce and remarriage. Jesus clarifies that. That the animal sacrifices, even circumcision, these things were provisional in the old law. When Christ would come, when the Son of God would become man, and, and no, the Israelites didn't fully understand that it would be truly the Son of God in terms of the only begotten Son of God who is truly God from all eternity because they didn't understand that God was a trinity. It was only when the Son of God became man and revealed the Father to us and the Holy Spirit that we come to know that God is a trinity of persons. He's not a solitude unto himself. He is the original family. And this is why family life is so important because it's supposed to reflect the life of the trinity. And then also it reflects the relationship of Christ with his church. But I digress here. It's important though. We need to know that there is no new revelation the church cannot invent new teachings and she cannot change old teachings that she has believed for 2,000 years, okay? So what's going on in Israel here before this battle to the Philistines? Well, the book of Samuel, right? We've been reading that now. If you're, you're Catholic and you've been going to Mass, now that numbered time, ordered time has begun, that's not ordinary in the sense of, oh, it's not important. No, every time is important. Every time is infused with God's presence. So it's important. But during this time, this is uh, year two in the cycle of readings for daily mass. And the book of Samuel is being read. And we discover that, you know, there's this woman, Hannah, and she's married. And her husband has another wife. And the other wife has a lot of children. And Hannah has none. And the, the wife with the children is always berating Hannah behind her, their husband's back. And so Hannah is always sad. They go up to Shiloh to offer sacrifice every year before the Lord. And, and Hannah is always sad. And so finally she goes in before the Ark of the Covenant and she's praying, but she's not moving her lips. And the priest is Eli. And Eli thinks that, oh, this woman is drunk. And finally after, you know, he's been watching her mouth move for a while. And, and, and he comes to her and he says, would you just sober up from your wine and, and go home? And, and she said, no, it's not that. Don't think me a ne'er-do-well. Don't think me a reprobate. Don't think me worthless, but I'm pouring out my grief to the Lord. And then Eli understands that she's, and he says, go home and be at peace. The Lord, he will grant your prayer because your prayer is heartfelt. It comes from the depth of your being and it comes from your humility and your absolute need. And so she does and she has, she goes home and she no longer is downcast. And sure enough, she has a child. And when she has that child, she had promised the Lord that she would Give that child to the Lord. And she names the child Samuel. Samuel means God hears. God hears. And so when Samuel is three years old, when he was weaned, they nursed their babies for at least three years. When he is weaned, she brings him to, the, to Shiloh, to the temple in Shiloh. And um, it wasn't actually a temple, it was a tent, but it was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so she gives him to the Lord in service. Now, she and her husband come every year up to Shiloh and they bring clothes for Samuel and they visit him and, and all that. And, and then God reveals himself to Samuel. 
And then in chapter four, we have this story of um, the, the Philistines and the Israel bringing the Ark of the Covenant. And they're thinking, oh, this is it. We brought it. The Ark of the Covenant is here. There's no way we can be defeated. And so they'd lost 4,000 men the day before. So this night, now the, the Ark of the Covenant is with us. Hophni and Phinehas are with us, the priests. They brought the Ark. We're going to win. And they shouted so loud that the, it says the whole earth shook. And the Philistines are like, oh, no. We know about these gods of Israel, the gods that put plagues on Egypt, the gods that split the Red Sea in two, the gods that opened the Jordan, the gods that established Israel in this land. Oh, we're going to be slaves of Israel if we don't be manly. And the Philistines say, you know what, we're going to be manly and we're going to fight hard. And they do fight hard. And instead of losing 4,000 soldiers the second day, Israel loses 30,000. And among the dead are Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. And in addition, the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines and taken away to Philistia. Well, what's going on here? Why didn't the Lord hear? What's happening? Wait, go back. There's a little backstory here in chapter two, all right? And it's interesting. The term that um, Eli says to Hannah about don't be a ne'er-do-well, in verse 12, it says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They had no regard for the Lord. The sons of Eli, these were priests. They had no regard for the Lord. Can this happen again? By the way, for all of those out there who are saying that we should only ordain married men to the priesthood, the Old Testament priests were all married men. And of course, there was no adultery. There was no problem, right? There was no womanizing. Oh, no. Read the story of Hophni and Phinehas. Not only were they taking the first fruits of the sacrifices, people would bring their sacrifices to Shiloh to, to sacrifice to the Lord. And Eli and Hophni would come with their forks and they would take the first portion. They were putting themselves above God. And, and then in addition to that, um, gulp, they were committing adultery with the women who served at the meeting tent. Now, just, and I'm sure they were doing this forcibly, just as they were forcibly taking, because people would object. They're, no, I, I came to sacrifice to the Lord. The first portion goes to the Lord. You can have, after I sacrifice, then you can have. And they said, no, because if you don't give it to us, we're going to take it by force. Whoa, they've really put themselves above God. They're just, these are priests, married men, by the way, who were ordained to the priesthood. And that, by the way, in the Catholic Church, priests have never been allowed to marry. Any priest who wants to get married has to leave the priesthood. Any permanent deacon, you know, the permanent deacons that we have, if he's not married before he's ordained to the permanent diaconate, he has to take a vow of celibacy in the Latin rite. This is our discipline in the Latin rite. And if he is married, he can't get married again if his wife dies unless he leaves the diaconate. The church has never allowed her priests to marry. And I was told by a former Anglican when I was in college, this was back in the 1980s, I don't know what the Anglicans do today, but even the Anglicans don't allow their priests to marry. Every Anglican priest has to be married before he's ordained. I'll be back with more after this break. I hear that music. If you want to make a donation, 877-526-2151. If you have any biblical questions, you can ask me on the app or call. We'll be right back. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barber. <laughs> Terry's not in the studio today. By the way, keep him in prayer. He's a little under the weather, um, but please God, he'll be up in about in a couple days. So we are talking about this defeat in 1 Samuel chapter 4, where Israel is roundly defeated by the Philistines. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, are killed in battle, and the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. So what happened? Why didn't God hear them? Well, as you know, the first day of battle, they lost 4,000 foot soldiers. And so they thought, oh, well, we forgot to bring the ark. We forgot to include God. So we better bring it. But there's another possibility here that actually Israel, by bringing the ark, is um, kind of saying, okay, Lord, you promised certain promises to us. Where are your promises? Why aren't you keeping them? So what are they doing? <laughs> They're, they're admonishing God. They're not looking at their own lives and said, Lord, have we offended you? What have we done that offended you? Do we need to repent? And by the way, what you read in chapter two about Hophni and Phinehas and how wicked they were, they had put themselves above God. They were committing adultery with the women who served at the meeting tent. Horrible. They were horrible, and God calls them worthless. By the way, the same word that Eli had called Hannah when she's supposedly drunk and making a a drunken show of herself. So here is Hannah. She's a righteous woman. She's a prayerful woman, but her heart is heavy because she doesn't have any children. And so Eli thinks her worthless, but she's not. And here in Israel, they think, oh, well, the priests, you know, Hophni and Phinehas, they're the sons of Eli, they're priests, they must be good men. And what are they doing? They're taking the first fruits of everything for themselves. Now, and they're, they're also committing adultery in the presence of God and saying, with no, with no repentance, with no, well, you wonder what's wrong? And maybe this is going on in Israel. Maybe if the priests are behaving this way, the people are looking to them for an example and say, well, if the priests are doing it, it must be okay. God doesn't mind. Well, by the way, don't look to your neighbor for what God minds us doing. Look to God. Read his commands. Read what he wrote. That's what we need. That's what we have to study the scripture. It is God's holy word. It's not the only part of revelation. There's more. There's sacred tradition. There's the living tradition within the liturgy. And so, you know, and and I was talking beforehand about priestly celibacy in the Western church, which, by the way, it is the discipline of the Western church. In many of the Eastern churches of the United States, and there there are 22 rites in the Catholic church, they allow married men to be ordained to the priesthood. That is the diocesan clergy, not the monks. The monks are all celibate. And the problem is not celibacy. The problem is we feeling sorry for ourselves and saying, oh, well, you know, we're just weak and God understands and I can't really control myself. Oh, really? Is that so? What you're saying there is that, yeah, Jesus Christ was a nice guy. He gave a good example, but he gives me no power to overcome sin in my life. You're denying the reality of grace and God's help. So Hophni and Phinehas have been wicked and they have the audacity to bring the ark into battle 
when they're not faithful to God, and perhaps many of the people are not faithful to God, and yet God allows them to be defeated. Look throughout the Old Testament. What happens when God's people are not faithful? He delivers them into the hands of the enemy. Why? Because he wants them to get beat up? No, because he wants them to repent and do like Hannah did, truly turn to the Lord with their heart and understand, I have sinned. I am sorry. I have offended God. I have offended God. God who loves me. God who is all good. God who is all beauty, truth, goodness. There's no evil in God. God didn't make sin. Sin came into this world because of man. Sin came into this world because of man's rebellion against God, because man rebelled against God. And so you have Hophni and Phineas rebelling against God, taking the first fruits for themselves. And the, the third reason they might have brought the ark into the aha, into battle is because why? Well, according to the commentators, the Israelites believed that the mere presence of the ark was a guarantee of survival and victory. If their thinking includes this third point then the Israelites are guilty of turning what God intended to be a symbol into an idol. Can we take the gifts of God and make them idols? Yes, we can. God is God and we are not. And God is one, but he is three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what he has revealed. And we can take his gifts and make them idols. This is why when people commit themselves to God, they have to go through periods of darkness and aridity, the dark night of the senses, the dark night of the soul, because we have to relearn our thinking. God didn't put us here to be entertained or to be comfortable. He put us here so that we could share in his own life. But in order to share in his own life, we need to start giving up all of our attachment to our own natural finalities, all of the faculties of our body, every cell of our body and its natural finality, we have to renounce in order to cling to God and embrace the supernatural finality to which we are called, which is union with God himself. Do we become gods by that? Absolutely not. We become God by participation. That means that we are filled with his grace. If we live a life that is faithful to the Lord. He fills us with his grace. And if, if a saint were to, you know, if someone were to see a vision of our soul, it looks like God because God is the life of the soul. But that doesn't mean we become gods. We don't become gods. We're still his creature. We always remain his creature, his children by adoption. We're not his son by nature. We never become the son of man in terms of the incarnate word of God. God is God and we are not, and we will never be God. Never. We can't make the laws. We can't change the truths that God has revealed. And so, you know, we can allow the gifts of God to become, you know, I like the consolations. I like it when I feel God's presence. That's a consolation, by the way. That's not owed to us. Am I willing to struggle in the darkness? Am I willing to continue to serve the Lord when it looks like everything I'm doing is wrong? All my prayers go unanswered. Am I willing to turn to him in repentance and say, Lord, if my prayers are not being answered because I have sinned, I repent. 
And if this is just a trial that you want me to go through, carry me through this. But I will cling to you, Lord, no matter what. What was it Job said? Even if he were to slay me, even if he were to slay me, I would still worship him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. As it has pleased the Lord, so has it been done. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do we have any instance where perhaps Israel might have been thinking that, um, any evidence from scripture that Israel might have been thinking that um, the Ark of the Covenant was just, um, that it had power in and of itself? Well, what do we have later, centuries later, the prophet Jeremiah he has his temple sermon, right? And what does Jeremiah say? He says, go now to my place that was in Shiloh. I will do to the house that is called by my name just what I did in Shiloh. He's referring to Jerusalem and the temple. Jeremiah is referring to Jerusalem and the temple. But he's pointing backwards. Remember what happened at Shiloh. And what happened? Eli's line was cut off and God told Samuel when Samuel was first serving in the temple, God appeared to Samuel and Samuel is not, as far as we know, Samuel wasn't necessarily a priest. So, but he's a prophet. He's a prophet and he will rule Israel as a prophet. So God is bringing in the prophets to replace the unfaithful priesthood. And Hophni and Phinehas die in a single day in battle. And Eli was warned about this. And Eli dies when he discovers, you know, if, if you go on to read the rest of chapter four here in, in Samuel, when they bring the news that the Ark of the Covenant, he doesn't die. He doesn't get so upset. He hears his sons died in battle. Well, he'd been warned that would happen. But then he hears that the Ark of the Covenant was captured. And he falls over backwards and his neck breaks. He's old. He's an old man. He's 98 years old and he's become very heavy because his sons were taking the first portion. And of course, they're sharing it with their dad. He's become very much overweight. The first portion of the sacrifices. So Jeremiah warns, don't say this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, nothing can happen to it. No, I can destroy this temple. What did Jesus say? Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise up another one. But he's talking about the temple of his body because Jesus is God among us. He is the living temple in heaven. You know, the temple of the Lord, God is the temple, as it were. And we worship God. And we are all brought into his life. And even here on earth, we're called to live in union with God. So Jeremiah warns the people, I'm going to do the same thing to the temple that I did to Shiloh. I will make this house like Shiloh, Jerusalem, and the temple. So If we are not faithful to God, God cannot bless us. God blesses what is righteous and true and good. He blesses when we keep his commandments, when we strive to do his will. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see all of our prayers answered. Don't get discouraged if you don't see your prayers being answered. Okay? Continue to pray. Renew your commitment to the Lord. The Lord doesn't owe us anything. He owes it to himself to be faithful to his covenant and faithful he is. He is always faithful. 
but we are unfaithful. In our day and age, you hear priests who claim, oh, I know scripture says that, but scripture's wrong. I know the church has always taught that. Well, we have to change the church's teaching because this is a new time and we have to adapt ourselves to the world. No, we don't. We're supposed to be bringing the world to Christ. We're supposed to be showing the world that God loves us. He loves us to the point to adopting us as his own children and to to living in us with his own life by grace. But he doesn't owe us anything. We need to repent of our sins and we need to live a life that is faithful to the Lord. And when we don't live a life that's faithful to the Lord, you know, it's funny. People think, well, I don't, I don't need to go to confession. I'm not a sinner. And they go to communion on a regular basis. And once a year, they go to confession. And there are people who are living in sinful relationships adulterous, fornication, and and even unnatural relationships. And they think that it's okay for them to receive Jesus in Holy Communion. And I'm going to address that on the other side of this break. So don't go away. We'll be back with more. Let's be faithful to the Lord and pray God for the grace to be final perseverance. Be faithful. Um, thank you again for all those who pick up our signal. Tell everybody to join us. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this, uh, today's Friday, and it is the um, 11th, the 12th, the 12th of January. Thank you, Mr. Engineer. It's the 12th of January, and we're in a new year, and we want to make this resolution to be more faithful to the Lord in this new year and to live according to his law and not to be, you know, we better not put ourselves above divine revelation. We need to learn from God, and we need to behave like God as his very dear children. So we don't just do whatever we want to do. We don't just do whatever feels good. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here to be well-liked. We're not here to be um, have convenience. We're not here just to live for comfort. And we can take our lesson from the Old and New Testament. You know, people thought they could deceive God in the New Testament too. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira who have this piece of property and they sell it and then they bring the money. Well, Ananias brings the money to Peter and he says, okay, I'm giving to the church everything I got for the sale of the property. And Peter says, oh, really? You can't deceive the Holy Spirit. And God strikes Ananias dead. And then the guys take him out, the young men take him out to bury him. And, and then Sapphira comes in a while later and, and Peter says, um, is it true that you sold the property for this amount? Well, Ananias and Sapphira had agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit. And they were lying. They thought they were just lying to Peter. Well, he's just a man. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You know, I can do whatever I want. God doesn't care. Oh, really? God doesn't see? God doesn't hear? Remember what Samuel mean? God hears. And so Sapphira says, yes, that's what we sold it for. And Peter says, behold, hark, the footsteps of the men who buried your husband are now coming to bury you. And the Holy Spirit strikes her dead because they're trying to deceive God. Now, we wonder sometimes in our age, it's like, well, God, it seems like there are a lot of people um, in the Catholic Church and maybe people in the world who are 
completely just defying you and, and trying to say, God doesn't care. Look, I can do this. I, and I can do it with abandon. I can do it blatantly and in public and God's not doing anything about it. So he must approve. Well, it's not true. God doesn't always act immediately. Remember, God has all eternity. And God's patience, when he doesn't strike us dead for our sins, which we deserve, his patience is for our repentance. As the Lord, as I live, says the Lord, I do not wish the death of the sinner, but rather that he would turn to me and live. God desires that we turn to him and repent. We live in a very confused world. And you know what? I heard um, the end of um, Jesus 911 there with Jesse and Anita and talking about, you know, demonic influences and things. And we need to be very careful. They talked about custody of the eyes, custody of the senses. Are we guarding our senses against what is ugly, what is immoral, what is false? Remember, the demons are only creatures. They're not God, and they can't give you eternal life, but they can sure give you eternal death. And if you choose them and don't repent, and by the way, if you've made the mistake of choosing them, you can repent. They lie to you and say you can't get out of it. Well, you can, with God's grace, if you're willing to do the hard work and ask the Lord. Following the Lord is an arduous task. It's not easy, but he provides for us all that we need. He gives us the grace. He gives us his own son. He gives us the sacraments in the Catholic Church. And remember, all seven sacraments, the Eucharist is the sacrament of sacraments. It's the highest because all the sacraments flow from it and point to it. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God made man, is really present in the Holy Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity in his risen, ascended, glorified state to be our food for the journey to feed us and strengthen us so that we can overcome sin in our life. But we have to acknowledge that sin is sin and we have to repent. What Hophni and Phinehas didn't do, and Eli warned him, he said, my sons, what you're doing isn't right. You need to stop it. But he apparently didn't have a lot of fatherly authority and his sons didn't listen to him. And they did whatever they want. And, and so... Um, they had a rather tragic end, and so did Eli's house. It's cut off. Now, it wasn't fully cut off until the time of Solomon, when Solomon replaces, um, oh, I had it here a minute ago. There's, in, in the time of Solomon, Solomon removes the priest, and he replaces him. Ah, I didn't copy it down. During the time of Solomon, Solomon has to remove um a priest who's been unfaithful and replace him with another. And that was that priest was of the line of Eli. He's the last of the priests of the line of Eli. If I find it here, I'll, I'll mention it on the last. Um. But, but back to the Ark of the Covenant and God's gifts. We're not to worship God's gifts. We are to worship the Lord. You know, we worship the Lord of the gifts. We don't worship the gifts. And so the Israelites had this false idea that you know, the Ark of the Covenant is just like a good luck charm. I can live any way I want, but if I just bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle with me, boom, we're going to have it. It's going to be great. By the way, um, the <clears throat> you got to read. You got to read Samuel. You got to read Second Samuel. <laughs> 
what happened to the poor Philistine, poor Philistines after? (laughs) Well, they weren't really poor. The Philistines were sinful people, but what happened to them after they captured the Ark of the Covenant? Well, um, their gods fall down in the temple before, before the Ark of the Covenant. And the first day they find their God fallen down, Dagon. And so they, they prop him up. And the next day, not only is he fallen down, but his hands are, are missing. And so then they, you know, they shift him around from place to place. And every place they shift the, the Ark of the Covenant, they shift the Ark of the Covenant around from place to place. Every place they shift the Ark of the Covenant, you know, their gods are being destroyed. And the people are getting sick. And after a while, they're like, you know, we don't want this thing in our land. We, we're, we're, we need to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. So they re, they're going to return it to Israel. I believe it's in chapter 6 of Samuel. But they have, to make, they have to make atonement because they have captured the Ark of the Lord. This is The Ark of the Covenant was sacred. It had the Ten Commandments in it, the manna, the staff of Aaron. It was sacred to the Lord. But it was a reminder to the people of God's presence. It wasn't God's presence. Remember when, when God, you know, in the time of David, when they, and, and in the time of Moses in the, in, the, in the desert, when the glory cloud comes down, the Shekinah, that's the presence of the Lord. And so we don't put our trust in things or creatures. We put our trust in the Lord. But we thank him for his gifts. And we remember that we have to give up our sins. Eli and um, Hophni and Phinehas did not do that. And, and Eli had gotten old, and in his old age, he'd gotten weak, perhaps. And he does reprimand his sons, but apparently he wasn't able to discipline them. And he wasn't able to stop their sinful behavior. And so the people probably followed suit. And so you have all of this disorder, this sin going on in Israel. And the people think, oh, well, God's just, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters. And it matters right now today for us. We need to be attentive. We need to be attentive to the voice of the Lord. We need to listen to his holy word and know that his word is not wrong. When he condemns sin, he condemns it. And why are sexual sins so important? Why is this? Because God made us male and female. Our sexuality, male or female, is our identity. And by the way, God doesn't make people confused in their identity. If you're not sure if you're male or female, have somebody check your DNA because it'll tell you. And if in your psyche or in your feelings, you don't feel like you're that gender, well, then ask the Lord for healing and ask him to show you the path to healing because there is healing. And, and you've got a world of people who are saying, do whatever feels good to you in the moment. That's a lie. That's not how we live for God. To live for God means to deny myself, to take up my cross daily and follow after my Lord Jesus Christ, who didn't come to, live a, didn't come to this earth to live a comfortable life, did he? His mom is nine months pregnant and Caesar Augustus puts out an edict. Everybody go to their native place and be registered. Well, Joseph's in Nazareth and his family is David. He has to go to Bethlehem to be registered there. That's a 90-mile journey, and Mary's about nine months pregnant. They make the journey. They get there. There's no place in the inn for them. There's no house. Well, Joseph, being of the house of David, probably had some property there. He would have maybe had a, a cave in the side of the hill that was used as a stable. So that's where he goes. He finds a, a, a cave in the side of the hill, and it may have been he may have owned that. And, and then, um, so that's where Jesus is born, in the comfort 
of a manger, of a stable and laid in a manger. Now, Joseph didn't leave that stable dirty. He cleaned it up and he made it as best he could. Just like we're supposed to clean up our souls and remove all the sins so that Jesus can come. We're not supposed to go to Holy Communion in a state of sin. You know, if we're living in an irregular relationship, don't fool ourselves into thinking that God doesn't matter. God understands. You know what? Yes, God understands. He understands way more than we know. And he knows that adultery is not only a sin against the sixth and ninth commandment, it's a sin of injustice against the family. When you commit adultery, that's a sin of injustice against the family. Fornication, that's a sin against the sixth and ninth commandment. But those degrade us as human beings. And unnatural relationships, homosexuality, that's unnatural. It's not what God made. What creates homosexuality in people are the sins of other people or perhaps our own sins. But we get this confusion of our gender. We're not sure who we are. But God can clear that up for us. And there are ways of homosexuals being healed. But you have to do the hard work of first acknowledging that, you know what? God didn't make me homosexual. And homosexuality is not natural. And there's the, the group Courage, which encourages homosexuals to live a chaste life. Everyone can live a chaste life. Everyone. And for all those of you who think that um, ordaining only married men to the priesthood is the answer, well, go back and look at the priesthood of the Old Testament. They were all married men. We are going to talk about that, weren't we? So, I hear the music again. <laughs> There's so much here, but it applies to our lives right now. And we really need to the Lord in every circumstance. So that's what we want to pray for. That's what we want to focus on. I'll be back. Don't go away. Please don't leave your family friends. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. So we were talking here today about 1 Samuel chapter 4, and the reading of, of how, you know, why? Why wouldn't God, why did he permit? And why does he permit? And we want to talk about this. So I, I had promised you that if I found um, the end of Eli's line where it was finally banished, and it was, it was Solomon banished Abathar from being the priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. And the king put the priest Zadok in the place of Abathar. And that's 1 Kings 2, 27 and 35. So it's later in history. You know, God tells Eli that I'm going to cut your line off. You will not serve as priests anymore. But they continue to do so up until the time of Solomon. So you have through, through, through um, people of his lines, so you have through Samuel, through Saul, through King David, and then it's Solomon. And remember, was it David reigned for 40 years? Um, you know, and, and so, but God's patience is geared toward our repentance. And we're talking here too about the idea of priestly celibacy. Now remember in the Old Testament, the, the priests weren't celibate, they were married men. And yet here you have Hophni and Phinehas committing these heinous crimes. They're laying with the women in, in the 
opening, well, how does it say? Um, they're scoundrels. They call Eli and City scoundrels, right? They're, they're just, um, and um, they're laying with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Verse 22 of uh, chapter 2 in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. So these men are reprehensible, but they're not repentant. When their father admonishes them to stop, they don't. And Eli has given a prophecy about that both of his sons will die on a single day. And they do. They die in the battle where they bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And again, the gifts of God are not to be used like good luck charms. God is not going to be manipulated. God knows our heart. God made us for himself. He made us for union with himself. And God will make us holy with his grace. We're not going to do it. It's not our own efforts that are going to make us holy. It is the Lord who completes the work he has begun in us. It is the Lord who accomplishes in us any measure of desire or accomplishment. If we have any measure of desire to do good, that's God's gift to us. If we're able to accomplish any good, that's God's gift. So if any good is done, it's done by the grace of God. Evil, we don't need, by the way, we don't need the devil's help to do evil. The devil didn't make us do it. Because of original sin, we're inclined to evil. We're turned away from God. We have to work hard to turn ourselves back to God, to get back on the right path. And there's so many passages in the scripture that warn us that God is not going to be mocked. He's not going to be mocked. He's not going to be toyed with. He knows us. He knows who we are, of what we are made. And he knows the grace that he gives us. We need to respond to that grace. We are called to a high calling. We're called to live in union with God. You think life is tough? Read the lives of the prophets. And how many of them died at the hands of the people because the people didn't like what they said because the prophets told them what? Turn away from sin. Turn away from sin. Jeremiah warns them, God certainly will destroy the temple. And the people are carried off into exile. First, the northern tribes, the ten tribes in the north are carried off into exile. But Jerusalem is eventually carried off into exile too. And the temple is destroyed. So we need to be faithful to the Lord. We need to turn to him and realize that we can do no good unless God is accomplishing that good in us, okay? And in the Gospel of Mark, when the leper comes and he begs Jesus to make him clean, Jesus stretches out his hand and makes him clean. But then he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. You know, so I, and I've heard this said many times. I was talking about the sac- going back to the sacraments here. I'm kind of jumping around. But going back to the sacraments, Jesus established the seven sacraments. He gave them to his church. And yes, he did establish them. He made it clear to his church. Okay, there's no new revelation. So the church couldn't invent something that Jesus hadn't already given to it. All right. So that, yes, the apostles had the power to forgive sins. Look at chapter 20 in the Gospel of John on the night of the resurrection. And Jesus appears to them and says, he breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you shall forgive. They are forgiven. Whose sins you shall retain. They are retained. So the leper is cleansed. And then he's told, go and show yourself to the priest and offer what is prescribed by Moses. 
So when we sin, yes, we go to God and acknowledge that we've sinned, but then we're supposed to go and show ourselves to the priest and receive absolution in confession. And it's interesting, Bishop Sheen made the analogy. He said, you know, the less and less people go to confession, the more and more flesh you're going to see in public. And isn't it interesting that as people started giving up confession, it was about the time of the sexual revolution of the 60s, and, and, and then you have these terribly scandalous, and they are scandalous, by the way, for everyone, for all of us Christians, whether we like it or not, the short shorts, the bikini, the bathing suits, that don't cover very much. This is nudity in public or partial nudity. I, I said to a friend of mine recently, and it always did amaze me, why is it that female figure skaters have to wear those little um, bathing suits that barely cover them and the men get to wear pants and shirt? Oh, because we have to see their knees bend and make sure that they land right. And really, what about the men? How come they get to wear pants and shirt? And the women are all dressed in these little leotards and um, tights. <clears throat> because we're not going to confession. And Bishop Sheen said the, the less and less people go to confession, the more and more flesh you're going to see in public. Because, why? Because we have a need to expose our soul to God in confession. And if we don't do it, we're going to expose our flesh, which is going to lead other people into sin. And and Jesse and Anita talked very strongly about the custody of the eyes and the custody of the senses. And don't be looking at pornography. And any of those of you out there who are addicted to pornography, get rid of the computer. Get rid of it. Did any of you ever see that um, Fireproof? It was a, it's a film that was done by a group of Christian filmmakers, and it's Fireproof. And it's about this fireman. His marriage is falling apart. Why? Because he's addicted to pornography. And his wife is tired of being ignored and treated like an object. And so she's toying with, she's a nurse, and she's actually kind of flirting with a doctor at work. And, and this man has a conversion. He has a conversion, and he takes the, the love challenge, where for 40 days you do something special for the person you love. Only he doesn't stop at 40 days, he continues. But the first thing, what, at one point, what he does is he busts his computer. He actually breaks it up with a baseball bat to get rid of it, to get it out of his life because it become a source of sin for him. The near occasion of sin, we're supposed to avoid the near occasion of sin. So we need to practice custody of the eyes. We need to pray every day. We have to pray every day. We're made by God. We're made for union with God. Prayer is a conversation with someone who loves us. Do we believe that we're loved by God? Do we love him in return? You know, when you really love someone, you want to spend time with them. How much time do we spend with God? Or are we just being entertained to death and ignoring God? And we think that God is going to bless us and give us holy priests? You know, there are many holy priests out there. Many, many, many. But, you know, the ones who get the press are the, are the one or two percent who violate their vows. And there are a lot. The enemy has penetrated into the church so that um, he can destroy the church from within. Yeah, the devil wants to destroy the church. You ever, if you ever talk to any former Satanist or exorcist, they'll tell you the devil knows his enemy. He knows that the Catholic Church is his enemy because he knows the Catholic Church is the church founded by Jesus Christ and that it carries on the work of Jesus Christ. And there's a prayer that we say, um, Terry, as prayer for the church in need. 
It's from the Opus Sanctorum Angelorum. You can go to Opus Sanctorum. On, you can go to Opus Angelorum. It's not the website is opusangelorum.org, and you can get this prayer card, prayer for the church in need. Lord Jesus Christ, back then during the storm on Lake Gennesaret, you pretended to be asleep to test your disciples' strength of faith and trust. Today, too, the bark of your church is in a violent storm such as it has scarcely ever withstood. The enemy has penetrated into the church and wants to breach the bark from within so that it will sink. Lord, do not sleep. Do not test our fidelity to faith any longer and look upon our frightened hearts. Stretch out your hand and command the enemy to leave the bark whose hull he tries to tear open. Accept our pleas and expiatory commitment and give to your angels the strength of decisive help. Amen. Are our hearts broken over the wounds in the body of Christ? Not only the wounds that were caused at the time of the Protestant revolt from the church, but at the wounds that are being caused today by our infidelity, by our compromising with the world, by our sin of laziness or selfishness or self-pity or wanting to live a comfortable life or wanting to be entertained to death and not wanting to make the effort to pray every day and to give God the time of day. We need to pray. We need to be in union with God. Prayer is supposed to be loving communion, a conversation with someone who loves us. Pray every day. Pray the rosary. Pray the chaplet of mercy. Go to daily mass if you can. Make holy hours when you can. Go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. You know, I tease people a lot, you know. Um, what if I only took a bath once a year? How many of you would want to be around me? Well, I can't smell your soul in the state of sin, although there were saints who could. <laughs> God hasn't given me that. Thank you, God. But what if I didn't take a bath for a year? And that would only be a dim reflection of the ugliness of my soul in the state of sin. A soul in the state of grace reflects God. It reflects God so much. St. Catherine of Siena was shown a vision of a soul in the state of grace. And she said, had I not known for certain that there was only one God, I was sorely tempted to worship because I saw the reflection of God. God lives in us by grace. God, the God who made us, the God of the universe, the God who commands, he speaks the word and it happens. Do we believe? Let us renew our faith, hope, and charity every day. Let us renew our commitment to God, our commitment to keep the commandments. And yes, God means for us to keep them. The Bible isn't wrong. The traditional, te the, the perennial teachings of the church that the church has taught for 2,000 years haven't changed and they cannot change. Pray for the church. Pray for ourselves. Pray for our families. Pray for our world and our nation. Pray that we will turn back to God so that God can pour out his mercy upon us because he is Thank you, all of those of you who listen. Thank you to our benefactors and for the stations who pick us up, for all those social media platforms who pick us up. Thank you to those of you who have us on the app. And please remember to share us with all your friends and family. Please, God, we'll see you next week.